Welcome to Oregon Rooted. I'm Higher Peaks. And this is Lady Sativa. You're listening to The Dirt Show. Where we bring you Oregon's cannabis culture. This is Higher Peaks. And this is Lady Sativa. And you're listening to The Dirt Show, episode 13. Number 13. All right. And we've got a little bit of a lengthy show here. Uh, <clears throat> we got a chance to catch up with Jason from Kenevir Research. And uh, they had their monthly uh, seminar. And we attended that. It was about terpenes and uh, plant oil science, if you will. And... As in usual fashion, afterwards, we uh, decided to uh, sit down with Jason and get the details about that. We also, though, had a chance to talk about DEA, or yeah, DEA not rescheduling and uh, kind of a flip angle to that. And then also, too, we talked about DUIs and cannabis in the blood and, you know, things to think about and how to protect yourself and stuff like that from a scientific point of view. Nice. So, uh, that did, we did sit down and talk quite a bit on a couple, two or three important subjects. So, that's what we got coming up. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to talk about what happened this week. We got a chance to, first of all, let's talk about our show supporters. Uh, of course, we've got Peacemaker Gear. We took that up to the uh, um, Crescent Lake and used that up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, alongside our uh, vaporous um, pin that we've now found that I found to be pretty cool. Mm -hmm. But the nice thing was, is we were able to take a good flower up, Jaybird's flower with our Peacemaker gear and uh, just used it up there. Of course, outdoors, it worked great. And uh, so what I did notice that I was, I was visiting their store this week and it appears that their store is under some construction, and I didn't know that. Hmm. So, you know, check out their website if you'd like to, to look at the different kinds of gear, but it appears you might have to find a local store or distributor yeah. in your area. I wonder why that is. Yeah, I don't know. I think they're just, I'm not sure. I have to find out, Maybe actually. they're making the website better for you. Maybe. Um, but they do have the gear on there. I don't think they have all their gear, but they do have a lot of it, and you can see what they got, uh, and then either contact them there or find a distributor um in your area i know that in rogue valley here you can get them pretty much at any of your um, dispensaries i've seen them at top shelf for sure mm-hmm. so give them call first or check around uh, but nonetheless that's peacemakergear.com p-e excuse me p-i-e-c-e makergear.com i always get that confused so and then don't forget about Applegate Soils um, and Hydro. I guess they are having an event coming up. I've got to look that up. Maybe I can look that up while we're talking here. But um, 
um, actually I believe in September they're having an event but it looks like a lot of their vendors might be there and it looks like they might be having a good sale so hmm. we'll find out more details about that and we'll let you know in the upcoming episodes but uh, nonetheless, you can get your big dirt and your small dirt there. Or, you know, when I was actually talking, we had the uh, expo, we had a cannabis and hemp fair, I think is what they called it here this uh, last weekend. Mm-hmm. And uh, the a lot of the vendors that we're starting to work with and that we've already liked in the past actually were cross working with Applegate Soils. Nice. So a lot of them had stuff from there and showing it and so it was good to see that a lot of the people that we're working with to support also work with Applegate Soils so it's the community working together well that but basically anything that we end up most likely recommending I'm sure will be there so Mm -hmm. this is good so check them out for your needs for the growing needs in soil or hydro and uh, again that's Applegate Soils and Hydro um, um, but moving on real quick to Vaporous. So this is a new, interesting, fun, and exciting uh, pen that we found when we were at the Indo Expo. We got our hands on a, they call it the J-Pen. What do you think of it? I really enjoy the J-Pen, but I uh, enjoy my new edition that I'm trying out. The What is that? The the mini the mini yeah well you're testing that out for us mm-hmm. so we ended up picking up the j pen pro kit which has your charger and a wall adapter and the larger battery larger deep well dual coil uh, adjustable airflow bad boy mm-hmm and uh, when we first saw it, actually, Wes Cush found it, and then uh, we went over there, and I introduced myself, and the first thing I noticed, it was a really good pin. It was solid. It mm-hmm. really felt like it was legit. Like, it didn't... I like the mouthpiece, and... Yeah, and it didn't look overbearing. It looked very classy. Very, uh, um... Under, it, undercover. Yeah. Well, very subtle. Yes. So even though it looked really nice and classy, it was not in your face. And it's just something that's very inconspicuous. And it looked like, for the most part, looked like any other pin. It didn't have that typical globe or mm-hmm. there wasn't a glass. There was a glass attachment that you could put on the top that gave you the globe effect. But it wasn't a globe. It was just like a glass mm-hmm. um, like attachment dome. tube. It yeah. wasn't a dome either. No, no. it wasn't. Hmm. Um, so, yeah. But so if you want to get that effect, it still didn't look... Like it just still looked like a normal pin, like a pin chamber, whatever oil chamber would look yeah. like. So, but we got a hold of that one and tried that out. Uh, we also got a hold of their cartridge one. That's what I was trying to think of, which is just a smaller pin that takes a uh, flavored cartridge. Yes, or you can use RSO in it as well. Yeah, you could use RSO, or you could use, um, I guess, any kind of more of your liquid cannabis you could mix in there. Um, Also, too, they do have cartridges you can buy, though, too, Mm -hmm. so you can fill that yourself. Uh, But I don't know that we'll try that so much because we're more interested in the concentrates. Right. And so so we did like it so well because we used it on this trip. You know, I mean, I tested it out. I dropped it, I don't know, five, six times probably, skipped it along some rocks, put it in the sand. Got some. Got, you know, used it in my pocket. It was, it was never, you know, in the way. Um, 
and it worked good. It hits like a champ. That's the other thing. Mm-hmm. For the size and Three for what it settings. is, uh, it hits impressively well with a good cloud of vapor if that's what you want. It does have three settings. We'll go into all the details later about it. We're actually going to have the guys on here from the company. Exactly. And have them drop all the details. One thing I did notice, having kind of somewhat of an engineering background, I did notice the quality. They had the schematics there on this thing, and it was really good. It just was really well built. and has this cool adjustable airflow where you could adjust by twisting or pulling the top cap, if you will, up. It allows more airflow or vice versa to the point where you can just close it if you will and then it won't even you know once it's closed it won't leak any of the oil out in your pocket which is cool mm-hmm. it happens often with the cheap ones so i thought all those features were real cool and like i said it really worked well on the trip so with that we came back and decided we want to start work with them right. so we contacted them and everything's going well we did get some product in the mail so we are going to start um, promoting them and have our listeners try them out so mm-hmm. we'll give you know some away in contests and so look for that right away and then we'll also be um you know finding different ways to get them out there and in listeners hands and you know out into the dispensaries locally and stuff like that because it is a really good product precisely uh if you want to see what they got uh out there right now you can get the details on their website it's vaporoustechnology.com that might be technologies let me look that up but it's v-a-p O R O U S O U S technology. So vaporoustechnology.com. That'll take you to what they've got. Pretty cool website. It shows you um, what what's available uh, in terms of the pens that they have. Now, I believe that we have one coming that wasn't in stock that was the regular J-Pen. Like I said, we got the J-Pen Pro, but we've also got this Mini that you're trying. Why don't you talk about that little Mini one real quick? I enjoy the Mini. It uh, It's definitely for me, not for sharing. <laughs> so, I mean, for one person. Yeah, and it, it hits very well. It's um, The bowl's a little bit harder to load because of the size of like the small smallness of it but i also haven't picked up the technique yet like you have so i'm still getting the hang of that (laughs) yeah and i mean it it is true that's the only thing i could tell and just let me interrupt real quick that's vaporous technologies i was right vaporous technologies.com i think i said technology yeah you did okay so yeah vaporous technologies.com i want to make that clear so and we'll make sure we put that on our social media but anyway, so we did get this other one. It's this mini J-Pen, which is really cool. Like you said, it's for one person. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's a smaller chamber. Still looks like a deep well chamber. But yeah, it's more of a, a one person thing. What I noticed is just pretty much just a really inconspicuous small pen. Yes. A uh, little less battery, but still hits like a champ. Oh, yeah. Still hits really good. And I don't know. We're still testing it out to find out how long it lasts. I've only used it one day. So. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, excuse me. I do know that with the JPen Pro, it did last all day long with both of us using it moderately. Yes. Which is pretty good. So one person, that would definitely get you through the day into the night and probably into the next day. So uh, this other small one, though, is good for probably like a pocket or purse or small whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, real, real um, inconspicuous on that part. Right. 
So we'll let you more know more as that unfolds and and also find out what our listeners think once we get them out there. But that's my thing on that. And like I said, coming up real soon, we're going to have an interview with them and they're going to talk all the details and we'll just keep bringing more info out for everybody. Okay. All right. All right. So let's move on. Uh, what we did want to talk about, get into the meat of it before we get into the interview is we want to talk about us going to Golden Beaver Farms. Yes. Which we were excited about. We've been planning this for quite a long time now and at least a couple months and we're excited we're timing their harvest on a room that they were doing yes and uh which they looked like they were just beautiful plants uh we will be posting some pictures pictures of that uh we just said it's been crammed full of information since we got back so Mm -hmm. but uh tell us you know tell us about your version of it and the story what you thought and what happened and what we did it was uh it was actually it was a lot of fun we uh had a long day of not only driving but we got to enjoy the view and enjoy the company and enjoy the um their different rooms all their different grow rooms they had three rooms i believe didn't they we see three rooms or four because they had four one they had four rooms that were yeah they had four rooms one of them was the in seed but then remember, they also had that one that was on the side that was all this stuff that was vegetative. It was two, I think, yeah. Yeah, so there was two outside. There was two right in, right in the door, and then there was another one down Actually the hall. Actually five, yeah, I think yeah. five. <clears throat> so they had quite a bit going on, and they all looked really good. Oh, the rooms yeah. looked good, and the lighting was good. We, we I mean, I'm not going to talk too much detail on it because... Right now, we're actually in the midst of conversation of right. doing the recording with them. Right. After we've digested all this. Yeah, we don't want to divulge too much. We can share it no, that time, too. No, no. But we we want them to talk about it because so, they know all the details right. of everything. So Beautiful experience, though. It was, it was awesome. Good company. Great people. Great yeah. people. It was and awesome. They have a, a nice farm. It was very cozy and, and very inviting. And the... the land around there is gorgeous I very mean, homey for me the same. drive was yeah was gorgeous and uh one thing to note is they had an exceptional water source oh yes it was came from the mountainside and, i still have some scratches on my legs yeah and a gorgeous little hike to it so yeah, it was. that was really cool um and then we ended up having some you got to tell me what it was ceviche I, ceviche yes <laughs> and basically <laughs> Basically, it's made with lime. You, you can use um, either shrimp. Shrimp is usually the best way for most of them is what uh, for most people is what they all like to say. But you can use hamburger and you can also use um, shrimp and you use lime, lime juice mm-hmm. and you pour it over the top till it's covering and then you cut it up with tomatoes, cilantro, um, onions, and you can let it sit like it, you, you put the meat in there raw with the lime juice with the hamburger and you let it cook for like 24 hours and then you cut up the tomatoes and the lime or the tomatoes and the onions and stuff and you drop it in there with the cilantro and then you eat it with you can eat it with chips or with uh, tostadas mm-hmm. that's a good mm-hmm. way to do it too yeah it was delicious it was good and we had a long good conversation about the current medical marijuana mm-hmm. situations and and Got to we, take dabs and smoke joints and yeah, the flower was great. Their um, 
uh, king cake. Is that what they called king, it? King cake, yes. That's um, what we harvested. Yeah, that's what we harvested. Gorgeous plant. Uh, it's one of their strains they've been tinkering with. Uh, I guess they called it that because of the colors that it gets, which is pretty nice colors, I think, come out of this plant. They're kind purple of Purple and green. Yeah, purple like green a and kind of a purple green and a yellowish color. Yeah. Yes, actually, and if you guys are interested, you can go look up the story of King Cake of what it is. <laughs> oh, as far as the background. Yes, yeah. the background and that's of why what they called King it. Yeah, Cake actually of the colors. Is. Yes. Yeah, baby inside. Mm-hmm. Good story. We'll let them maybe tell it too on Maybe their yeah, maybe interview. let them tell it, but if you guys are interested before then, or you can stay in suspense and just find out what King Cake means. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um and we uh, also got to harvest with them mm-hmm. literally. So, we yes. pulled that king cake out and we cut with them and got to carry some really good flour. Yes, it was really awesome watching them going from inside indoors mm-hmm. to coming out and seeing the sun for the first time before we chopped them. Right. Yeah, and really good buds. There, the structure was good. They had really big, you know, calyxes, if mm-hmm. you will, and then um, they're really like dense. Like they're just solid. Oh yeah. And uh, <clears throat> but the the that was my favorite out of all the flour we tried. That was my favorite. It's the king cake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we brought some seeds home with that. Yeah. So we brought two strains home, the King Cake, which is a Mystic Gem times GDP, and then the one that's been getting out there is the Chocodile Chocolope times the New York City Diesel LA Confidential. So two, two of those that we're going to end up running, which I'm excited for. Yeah, me too. Especially that, that King Cake. So We're getting lots of different seeds to try from this next year. Yeah, we are, and get get a lot of uh, chances to run some good quality genetics for a change, and mm-hmm. not not the usual stuff, you know, getting out there and getting some fresh stuff. Mm-hmm. So, if you guys are listening to this, we appreciate um, both you, Bryce and and uh, Matt. Uh, we appreciate you guys having us up there, and we're definitely going to come out again. Stories. It was it was a great time. Stories awesome are time. great. Yep, and we'll hear those stories on the interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, again, guys, we uh, do appreciate it. And for any of you folks that are interested in farms and more information or interested in what they do or their products or their seeds, get in contact with them. Uh, they are on Facebook, Instagram at golden beaver farms, and then they have their website, goldenbeaverfarm.com. So, um, they got good stuff. Check them out. Mm -hmm. All right. So, we're going to move on quickly and we've already spent like 20 minutes on that. And, uh, we do have a good hour and 20 minutes or so of this interview. So right. we appreciate you folks sticking in there. You know, since we only do this once a week, I don't think it's too much when we run a little over like this because, mm-hmm. you know, you can listen to it a couple times or however many times it takes to get through right, or not, <laughs> whatever. But, but at least, uh, you know, it's not too much of an overload. So, but this is a good interview. Check out what he has to stay. We talked about two things I just want to mention before we start this is one we talked about the DEA. Yeah, well yeah, the the different angle on that. The DEA, see what happens if they go schedule two, the first people in line to get control of this would be the FDA. Mm-hmm. And we don't really want the FDA in controlling control cannabis. So 
it's probably better off once he gets into detail about it you'll understand but it's probably better off that we did not just jump into that obviously it's going to happen at some point but just jumping into it might not have been so good right especially just handing it over to a fda which we know is not this i don't mm-hmm. know no comment so and the other thing too we talked about was duis and and levels of thc in your system what Colorado's done, they have a set limit of 0.05 nanograms. Absolutely ridiculous. Uh, that's such a small amount mm-hmm. that it's, I mean, it's, I, we also talk about studies that uh, the um, DMV has done mm-hmm. that shows interesting things like, you know, veteran smokers actually don't, you know, uh, don't end up driving poorer yeah as you would think whereas smokers that only do it once a month or not very often do tend to perform right poorer so there's so much relativity and subjectivity to this that it's it's not like alcohol where you can say well i can drink one beer per hour and be okay and be under the legal (laughs) limit there's nothing close to that with marijuana you don't know you know you could smoke a week before mm-hmm. and be above the 0.05 nanograms a week later. Right. Cop is upset at you, bust you for DUI. So he goes over some details on that that kind of gives you a, a scientific perspective. And then we also briefly just talk about um, ways to kind of protect yourself. So let's get into that interview. We appreciate it. And we will uh, just come back on right after it's done just to close up real quick. So here's me uh, and J- I should say Jason Kenevere. And I uh, talking about uh, terpenes, DEA, and DUIs. All right, this is Higher Peaks, and I am here with Jason Wilson from Kenavir Research. Jason, welcome to the show again, buddy. Yeah, thanks for having me again. I appreciate it. Yeah, we are really glad to have you. Uh, every time we got you, we get some good, good science. And this week, you had a seminar at SOU uh, concerning terpenes. Yep, terpenes and, and terpenoids. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, plant oils, if you will, and the, the science of them. And we had a good time there. I, I learned a lot. I, here's the thing. When you drop so much science, I have to... My notes are just full of just scribbles because <laughs> because there's so much to learn. I wish, sure, uh, yeah. I, wish I had a faster hand to be able to, to get down all the good stuff. So why don't you summarize what you talked about and, and give our listeners an idea of what you... Uh, what what the science is of these terpenoids sure thing yeah um first off i'll i'll say just to make you feel a little better um i had a psychology professor uh, many years ago that reminded us that on average we remember about 60 percent of the information we encounter so <laughs> i try to make everything really dense with the idea that you'll only remember about half in the first place <laughs> nice nice that's good that's good hopefully um, we remember the important half right yeah. right um so yeah, we talked about um, terpene and terpenoid compounds in uh, not just plants, but uh, fungi and bacteria and um, even humans. And um, we spent some time kind of describing what terpenes are, um, some examples of common terpenes specifically found in cannabis, and then um, different ways that humans have interacted with these terpene compounds for well over a thousand years. Um, is that what science says is a thousand years or, I mean, cause yeah. it seems like we could have been interacting with these things for millennia. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, 
most of the literature points to ancient Egypt and their use of essential oils. Um, definitely it goes further back than that. Sure. Um, and when you look at just um, the history of cannabis use, um, there's some evidence that through oral traditions, it's thought that cannabis use can be traced all the way back to about 2000 BC. Um, pretty, pretty far back, really ancient cultures. Are you talking like hemp use or actual, um, you know, if you will, medicinal use? Uh, more, uh, yeah, more medicinal. It, um, okay, so not so much textile stuff, but actual medicine. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, some of the main points uh, that we went over in that seminar that, you know, um, terpenes and terpenoids make up the bulk fraction of essential oils in plants. And so one simplified way of thinking about terpenes is that they're essential oils. Um, terpenes are one of three major classes of compounds that we find in plants. Um, so you have terpenoids and then the two other major um, categories uh, would be phenols, uh, which we touched on a little bit. Examples of those are like flavonoids or bioflavonoids are commonly called. Um, and then alkaloids, which are um, plant metabolic products that have nitrogen in them. And so um, terpenes, um, as they're chemically defined, are their isoprenoids. Um, they're made of isoprene units, and these are really basic five carbon structures that um, life uses to build all kinds of different products. Um, <clears throat> and uh, so you get different size terpenes based on the number of isoprene units that are combined to make them. And so once you get two isoprene units together, you have a 10 carbon compound. Um, that are labeled monoterpenes. And if you think of mono meaning one, you think of 10, um, it's an easy way to remember it. And then um, you have three isoprene units, you have a sesquiterpenoid with 15 carbons. Um, up from that you have diterpenes which have 20 carbons um, and so forth and so on. You have sesterterpenes and triterpenes. Uh, triterpenes are more common in uh, fungi um, certain mushrooms um, will exude those, and uh, they're also common in uh, roots as well. Um, so essentially, there's, I mean, here you go, a plethora of uh, terpenoids. I mean, oh yeah, I mean, there, we we've been studying terpenes for about as long as we've been studying plants. Uh, they're super common, ubiquitous throughout life. Um, they seem to serve a variety of different functions that continue to change as different life forms evolve and change. And so one thing we talked about in the seminar, we're, it's really hard to nail down why a plant like cannabis would produce the terpenes that it does because they seem to serve a variety of overlapping functions simultaneously. Um, and the way evolution kind of works, you know, traits... Uh, come about in an organism or a population of organisms um, but just because a trait is important at one time doesn't mean it's important now and so it's really hard to decipher how uh, plants and other forms of life are using compounds because they could just be making them because evolutionarily they needed them at one point and then they're just still making them because it hasn't been selected out 
um, but it doesn't mean it's even serving any particular function today. Okay. Um, but some examples of hypothesized reasons that, say, the cannabis plant produces terpenes would be um, a lot of terpenes tend to repel insects um, or particularly certain types of pests like aphids. Um, certain terpenes actually attract predatory bugs um, that will sort of feed on pests. And so it's a sort of survival mechanism in that way. Um, some terpenes are produced in the roots of plants um, as allelopathic agents that actually discourage the germination of nearby seeds um, so that they can, the plant can kind of claim its space. Um, some other things that terpenes do for plants, um, sometimes they help um, just change the way that um, light and energy is hitting the plant. So some terpenes actually help um, sort of diffuse UV radiation. I was going to say, could it be used for, say, uh, uh, you know, sun protectant? Yeah, for sure. You know, you get a, a week of 100 degree days and it might change its profile a little bit. For... Yeah, and, and water retention. Um, yeah. Because these compounds are oily. I mean, they're primarily just carbon and hydrogen. And when you have just compounds that are made of pure carbon and hydrogen, they tend to be um, really oily. And so they tend to hold water in the plant and the plant tissues. And, you know, as far as protecting against UV radiation, it's highly speculated that that is one of the reasons why cannabis produces such a dense... Um, concentration of trichomes all along the flowers is because yeah. it's essentially protecting the germplasm and the DNA okay um, inside the uh, because the it's one of the yeah it's one of those plants that really does produce an extra large amount right of, of yeah quite resin. a lot and it seems like the plants that do produce that kind of resin I, and I'm not any kind of botanist or anything but it seems like they use it for like the actual sticky part of it, the the resin is like uh, to catch other bugs or to yeah you know use it in in its sticky fashion. Right. Yeah. Whereas marijuana doesn't really indicate that. It seems like there's a lot of other reasons why it has it, not just for its being sticky. Yeah, and you know it should be noted that um, the cannabis that we're sort of accustomed to these days is nothing like what grew in right. the supposed wild. Um, <laughs> it's really hard to even study quote-unquote wild cannabis because it doesn't really exist, exist anymore. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean... So it could have truly been more hempish in the beginning. Um, potentially and, you know, some resin content, but it would be difficult for a female cannabis plant in the wild to avoid males for very long. Um, and so... You it know, never has a chance to really, and um, in, in terms of the sense of media part of it, it doesn't have a chance right. to develop that total female aspect, right? Because in the wild, like you said, it's going to be germinated most likely, yeah, and we'll never make it there, right? It'll be pollinated, and so it's a breeder thing. And I, I mentioned in the seminar that a lot of times terpenes are sort of stress-related um, compounds; they get upregulated during different times of stress, and if you think about can female cannabis plants in that way. I mean, what, what cultivators do is they essentially stress the plant out because they keep it from um, ever getting pollinated and fertilized. Um, and uh, yeah, so what we see in, in typical cannabis cultivation scenarios is not like what happened sort of evolutionarily on its way here, but it does help us understand how these um, terpenes and terpenoid products um, 
you know, what they might be doing for the plant for sure. And definitely, you know, their bugs get stuck to these, you know, sticky trichomes and um, even pollen potentially gets stuck. I was going to say that could be trichomes. Yeah. And mm-hmm. as the trichomes um, sort of uh, degrade, they can sort of release pollen into oh, different okay. parts of the plant. Um, one interesting theory about why cannabis produces um specifically cannabinoids um, that I, I find really intriguing is um, cannabinoids are really effective antioxidant compounds. Um, we know that from studying the way they interact with people. But um, one thing that's kind of special about cannabis terpenes is a lot of them are quote-unquote true terpenes, just pure hydrocarbon compounds. They're not oxygenated. Um, and we know that these monoter- these true terpenes that are often monoterpenes, really lightweight, they tend to help the plant repel pests and attract predatory bugs and all this. And um, it's thought that the cannabinoids might be there to simply protect those true terpenes from becoming oxygenated. Ah, that's interesting. And so they can, they can perform that sort of antioxidant activity yeah. within the, the plant itself to kind of to protect those things. And that's purely speculative, but I think it's a really intriguing theory. Sure, sure. One thing that you'd mentioned in the seminar that I thought was really interesting was that you had mentioned that you can take, say, uh, a piece of flower from one part of the plant ah, and, yeah. and test it, right, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and get a profile, and then take another part and test it and get something completely different. And I'm sure that's dynamic in nature. So, right. you know, that plant is essentially a very dynamic living organism that's changing itself uh probably by the flower or by the leaf even which is amazing that it's reacting assumably uh to every nuance in every part of its structure for sure yeah the the concept you're referring to is called uh phytochemical polymorphism um i know I read about that term from Dr. Ethan Rousseau in a, a paper that he wrote about cannabis and terpenes. I think it was from his Taming THC paper, which um, anyone can find online. He was kind I enough to make that, that freely yeah. available. Mm-hmm. If you just Google Taming THC, you'll find that. Okay. Um, but yeah, he points out that the cannabis plant is an excellent example of this concept of um, phytochemical polymorphism. And so phyto is just a prefix meaning plant. And so talking about plant chemicals and then polymorphism just means many different shapes and so yeah the chem- the cannabis plant produces terpenes and terpenoid products in varying concentrations all over the plant in response to different environmental cues um, as well as um, just natural degradation um, in the seminar we talked about how in the lower leaves of the plant you tend to find um some more oxygenated and uh, degradative uh, terpenes like caryophylline oxide, which right. can actually, um, it, it tends to be more bitter and encourage anti-feeding behavior. Um, it discourages herbivory so things don't nibble on sort of those lower leaves. Um, certain terpenoid products in the lower leaves also cause necrosis, which actually causes the leaves to start to kind of die off and break off from the main uh, vegetative shoot so that can free up energy resources for newer growth. Nice. Um, yeah. So yeah, there's a lot going on with cannabis and in the lab, um, 
it's a question we get a lot is, you know, how come I can take this one bud to one lab and get this one result and take seemingly the same sample to another lab and get a totally different result? And, you know, one layer of that is that labs do things differently and have different methods and varying levels of accuracy and precision. That's definitely one issue to deal with. But on a bigger level, even if you went to different labs that were doing things according to the same methods and, and you know had the same sort of quality controls, you're still going to see variation because of this phytochemical polymorphism that there is no such thing as you know two samples that are the same, yeah. no matter if they're from the same plant or the same branch or even the same inflorescence um, or bud. Uh, Which presents quite a challenge for you guys. It does. I imagine. It does in the sense that the public is really eager for a quote-unquote true potency value of cannabis material. They want to know, you know, what is the THC number? Is it 25%, 30%, 10%? Just what is the number? And it's hard for people to accept that there is no number and that there are a range of numbers. And, um, the best we could do is kind of figure out an average and that's sort of what we do in the lab we you know we sample from a lot of different places in a batch and mix it all up and and powder it together and so you know ultimately the number the lab generates is is somewhat of an average that often is bracketed by a certain um, supposed level of uncertainty which you don't really see in test results now but you'll probably start to see um, going forward, as labs get accredited, you'll probably start to see uncertainty measurements too, where they say, you know, yeah, it's around 23% plus or minus, you know, some odd percent. Right. And that's really common. If you look at... Yeah. Um, I think it's fair. Yeah, I mean... I mean you got so many variables and and uh, you can't get, you can't nail it down. I, I'll tell you this now by trade, I'm an engineer, so I deal with small numbers mm -hmm. and I can tell you a lot of times we deal in averages, right? Because the smaller you get, you know, you, the more variables, the, the more inaccuracy and, right. and yeah. the more, um, you know, tolerances you have to deal with. Mm -hmm. So we, I understand that. And it's, I think it's more education for people maybe. Yeah, for sure. And if you look at, um, Let's say if you're buying some hops, um, typically when you see terpene measurements for hops, you see myrcene and um, humulene and some other terpenes that you'd find in cannabis as well, a lot of times the potency values are delivered that way. That they're 5% plus or minus, you know, 2% sure. or whatever, um, to let you know that, you know, when you're working with it, you know, don't do all your math based on this one number, but consider, you know, that anything you take from this batch could be, you know, somewhere upwards of, you know, five and a half or six percent mercine versus four and a half or five percent mercine or, or whatever. Yeah. And and so let's just touch briefly on this. I wanted to mention that I think if I got your uh, seminar right, mint is the most, is this uh, the yeah, number one most common yeah, there's a there's a particular mint plant which right now is escaping my brain, um, but it's it's a mint plant that menthol is primarily extracted from, and it's the most um, common. It's or... it's the most um, commonly used in sort of I see industrial okay. terpene okay. extraction. Yeah. Now, in um, the second most common, did you mention was that the lim limonene or? 
Oh, okay. So when we talk about um, common terpenes, so yeah. uh, menthol is one of the most um, sort of commercially common, but mm -hmm. as far as common in nature, yeah, that's what I was referring um, to. The pinenes are okay. the most common. Okay, and when you think about you know pine trees and and cedar trees, all these conifers, sure. um, that makes sense. And most plants produce pine some sort form of pinene. Um, which is, I imagine is pretty bitter, might be a form of pest control maybe, or? It's, they, they definitely exhibit pest repellent properties. And one thing I mentioned in the seminar is, you know, I'm originally from Mississippi and um, it's really common in Mississippi to see properties that are lined with um, cedar trees and driveways and uh, pathways that are lined with um, conifers specifically for the purposes of trying to discourage mosquitoes and mm. different things like that i've um, used cedar myself to be honest yeah and i've seen results from it yeah so i use a lot of cedar uh, mulch yeah yep and and it does well mm -hmm. um it, it doesn't break down like i'd like it to yeah but, yeah but um it, it does good for for what you think it would work for sure for. Yeah, and then, um, yeah, limonene is the second most common uh, terpene in nature, found in lots of uh, citrus peels, um, which, which kind of though, is in cannabis. Yep, limonene is definitely in cannabis, as well as a lot of other plants. Um, it's in um, lemon balm and, you know, a variety of other things. It, it has the smell of oranges, um, which is kind of funny considering it's called limonene. Um, but the smell is more reminiscent of oranges than lemons. Um, and when you um, kind of get a scent for it, you start to smell it everywhere. Yeah. What's great about these terpenes and terpenoids is that we've got this just whole uh, range of flavors and, and smells and stuff. And we're just getting into this. I mean, yeah. and, and cannabis has such a large profile. It's just, there's so many questions and so many, it just, it's easy to let your imagination run with right why and how and and uh which is really cool mm -hmm. it's just really cool that we're getting to this point um so with that said that was part of your uh seminar and we covered that i wanted to uh now maybe talk to you about uh, a couple other things too that sure uh, i think that we need a scientific point of view if you will okay um and also maybe a, a different perspective now the fda has and this is pretty common knowledge but the fda has not uh descheduled marijuana right. they're keeping it where it's at and uh but there is some a couple little changes do you have can you uh tell us what you think about that yeah so Recently, the DEA announced that they decided that for the time being, at least, they're not going to um, pursue rescheduling cannabis and the cannabinoids from uh, Schedule 1 to Schedule 2. And for anyone that doesn't know, the, control, the Controlled Substances Act has set up this series of um, drug schedules um, that are supposed to in some way relate to the medical efficacy and relative safety of a compound um, to sort of determine what should be prohibited and what should be allowed um, for use in, you know, sort of a, a medical setting as well as what should be openly um, allowed. And so cannabis has been in Schedule 1, which is the harshest schedule that exists. It presumes that there's no medical value and that uh, the compound is likely to be abused. And so there's been a uh, push for quite some time now to 
either have cannabis rescheduled to schedule two or three, which would allow not only research, but some legitimate medical use and would allow physicians to start to be able to talk about this stuff more openly. Um, or there's also been a push to just have cannabis completely descheduled um, and just not include it in that series of scheduling and think of it more as just the, uh, you know, if there is danger to it, it's just an accepted vice in our culture, like alcohol or, or cigarettes yeah, or something like figure. that. Yeah, go figure. Yeah. The government hasn't given any indication that they're open to descheduling, but they have given some indications that they're open to rescheduling. So back in early 2016 this year, um, the DEA made an announcement that by mid-year this year, they planned on making an announcement about rescheduling. It seemed really promising. And then um, this past week or so, they announced they weren't going to do that. Um, what they did announce was that they were going to start um, allowing other entities to start growing cannabis legally under guidance of the federal government uh, for use in research. Um, and that's a really big deal because up until now, the University of Mississippi has been the only um, source for cannabis material that can be used in um, research projects and um g13 <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> the legendary g13 yeah. i i get a lot of questions about that because i've <laughs> spent some time at the the nida lab there at the university of mississippi oh, did you? and nice yeah I, I worked in the it department for the university of mississippi for some time and had the opportunity to work in that lab a little bit as well as the um USD, USDA labs there at the Natural Products Research Center housed at the University of Mississippi. Um, well, I bet that was neat. It was very interesting. Um, got to know a lot of the researchers there at the NIDA lab and um, still try to stay in communication with some of them. And um, they were nice enough to uh, give me tours and, and really kind of show me what they're working on and how all that works. But you know, what I learned quickly, especially after moving to Oregon, is the cannabis materials that are available there, um, for the most part, are not entirely representative of the cannabis materials that most people are encountering either on the street or especially in states where it's um, medically or recreationally legal. Um, on average, uh, the University of Mississippi has available cannabis materials that range in THC concentrations of between one and six or twelve percent or so. And oh my gosh! They have a category of you know ultra high pure cannabis, which starts out I think around thirteen percent or oh, so, geez. and and goes up <laughs> into the twenties. And so they they claim to to have material that can suit that need, um, but I'm not too sure exactly how much of that they have available or how common commonly it's allowed for use. But so the DEA has um, made arrangements to begin to contract other labs um, to do similar work, and that's exciting. Um, I'm hoping to, you know, maybe see a university in Oregon step up and try Wouldn't to apply. Wouldn't that be neat? Yeah. yeah, it'd be really nice to see, you know, yeah. Oregon State or University oh, yeah. of Oregon um, take that on, or, you know, there are other universities here, too. What a great state to do it in, um, you know? Yeah, and uh, so there's some promise there, and Another point to the DEA decision I point out to people is, you know, there are a lot of nuances to it. Um, doesn't necessarily mean that I agree or disagree with the decision, but 
if it were to be rescheduled to Schedule 2, it's important for people to understand what would change if that happened. Um, you know, at that point, it wouldn't fall under um, sort of DEA regulation. It would fall under FDA regulation. And that's a big thing. It, it's a really big, and, big thing. Yeah. Yeah. And in all the posts and all the social media I've seen, people are fired up because I think what the listeners are feeling is that the, the DEA is saying there's no medical value. Right, and that's actually and, what the FDA is saying, and the DEA is the messenger for that message. Right, right, and so we need to understand that as as people, as listeners, as a community. And the thing with that is, um, uh, I think that people are really upset because you see all these videos, especially with epilepsy. Right. I mean, it's really, really hard to right. deny. I don't care how what word you put on it, as far as. Well, does it correlate? Does it not? Right. I mean, you can you can describe it how you want, but when you see the actual evidence when it comes to epilepsy mm-hmm. or certain kinds of it, it's hard to deny it. And so I think there's a backlash with that without looking deeper, like you're saying, with the FDA and stuff. So Right. It's it's certainly complicated and I understand, you know, um the frustration that people are feeling, um, hearing this message from the government that, you know, it's still recognized that cannabis doesn't have medical value and, and all this sort of thing. You know, I'm not even sure they themselves believe that. Yeah. Um, and this is my personal opinion. It's not an opinion of Kinevir yeah. research or anything. No. Um, but I personally believe that, you know, the, the FDA is probably not prepared to take on the cannabis industry at this point. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I don't I don't know what would happen if it got rescheduled to Schedule 2. It could possibly bring all legal cannabis industries to a halt for some time until they figure out how to deal with the logistics of, of managing that. Um, well, and, and you said the FDA is going to be involved, so... Right, and they're already, changes... they're already coming down on um, CBD manufacturers for marketing claims, and they've stated that, you know... Uh, it's their opinion that CBD is an investigational new drug because it has gone through clinical trials. Um, undoubtedly, they could say that about THC as well, um, which would really change the game as far as developing legal cannabis industries goes. Um, so I can't really say one way or the other how it would look if it got rescheduled, but I think it's important to stop and, and think about what the implications of that would be Um Besides, you know, the fact that they would be recognizing that it has medical value, there are just certain implications that I'm not sure any of us are ready for. Yeah. If it were to be rescheduled, I'm not saying it should stay Schedule One, um, but you know, it's just all things to think about. Well, and like you, I think what you're saying is maybe just having it slow down and and be as slow as it is might be a good thing. My only concern is this: is uh, if you. Uh, continue to let this industry grow, it's, right? It's going to be a beast. I mean, it yes, will, yeah. it, it's a beast now. And how are they going to tackle it? But what about three years from now? Right. Yeah. I, I know. Mean, this is something that we've already got the we've got fifties uh, and sixty year olds starting to come on board. You know, these these for back for lack of better words, just the older generations that are saying, okay, wait a second. This is pretty decent medicine. Right. It kind of makes me feel a little bit better. Right. 
you know, so a couple of years down the road, there. I mean, it seems like it's going to be just... Yeah, it's... Well, one thing that's strange about it is that cannabis, for some reason, and this is actually, you know, really a deeper reflection of things that are going on with our criminal justice system um, and our legal system at large, but cannabis specifically has fallen into this weird precedent of guilty until proven innocent. Like, it's the burden of proof for rescheduling or legitimizing cannabis in this country has become proof that it's safe, not really proof that it's dangerous to the point that it's worth worrying about. Right. It's sort of a, a yeah, guilty until proven innocent scenario. And that's kind of strange and something that people should think about um, when we do accept things like alcohol and cigarettes that are known to be dangerous. Um, well, and they're also manufactured. Like it's it's really right. hard to seek out alcohol naturally. Now right. I, I get it that fruit fall from the trees, they might rot, and an elephant or a monkey might come up, <laughs> right. eat, eat a few of them, and get drunk. I get that, but I mean in nature you really don't find an abundance of alcohol anywhere. Right. Whereas marijuana, and I get that in nature marijuana being germinated and stuff is not going to produce the same kind of stuff. So there is some manufacturing to it. But it's still in a fairly natural state. Right. You know, you don't have to mix it with this or mix it with that right. or come up with a couple compounds and heat it up. I mean, essentially, you can just take it off, dry it, cure it, and, mm -hmm. and consume it, whether it's edibles or not. So it's a few steps closer to nature right. than some of these other drugs that we consider, especially FDA. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at them, there is nothing natural. It, it has to be a chemical essentially yeah it's, it's to be fda regulated because herbs don't have to be under that right so if you're going to go get herbs it you know these statements you know blah 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 <laughs> yeah. fda okay yep but but you get into chemicals and then all of a sudden it's fda yeah, and it, it brings up the this sort of complicated realm of natural products and and medicine and the gray area that it often falls in, you know, like take vitamin C, for example, you know, is it a drug or a natural product? How do you classify it? Dietary supplement. And, you know, arguably, um, cannabinoids should be treated the same as vitamin C. It, you know, they are natural products. Um, when they're produced, generally they're extracted, even if they were synthesized. I mean, they're still representative of, of natural products that you could, you know, like you said, find in nature and consume. Um, they're generally regarded as safe as far as, you know, you, you're not going to overdose on it. Um, well, and that's the thing is that I think they've kind of proven that. I mean, there's really, I can go right now, right? I could leave right here, right now and go maybe 15 minutes south, pick up two bottles of Everclear <laughs> right. and not wake up tomorrow. Right. If I so choose to. Right. And that's okay. But we look at cannabis and we know that you can't do that. Right. You can't even do that with a child. You can't even do it if you wanted to. No. <laughs> you couldn't eat it. I mean, yes, you're going to suffer some side effects, but those side effects are only going to make you feel better the next day maybe. Right. You know? So, I mean, it seems that, and I think this is where the frustration is coming from, is that people are saying, what the hell? Yeah. But on the flip side, I think our listeners and everybody out there that's aware of this needs to know that there are other implications. FDA getting involved, changing things. It could get, it right. could not be a good thing. And, you know, there's speculation, and I think there's, you know, a lot of good reason to speculate this, that 
waiting to reschedule, you know, on a negative side, it gives pharmaceutical companies um, more time to kind of get their ducks in a row to prepare for cashing in on the rescheduling of it. Well, yeah. Um, that's a, an idea that, you know, has been floating around for some time. And I think there is some some weight to that. I mean, definitely pharmaceutical companies, biopharmaceutical companies are not hiding the fact, well, some are, but uh, nowadays a lot are not hiding the fact that they're preparing to um, embrace cannabinoid-based drugs. And um, there are several companies now um, slated for that. GW Pharmaceuticals is mm-hmm. one, um, but there's another called um, AbbVie, which um, produced Marinol, um, and they're poised to, to do more cannabinoid work. Um, there's another one called, um, is it Insys, I, I believe? Um, I-N-S-Y-S, I believe. They're also slated to be a cannabinoid pharmaceutical company. Um, and so understanding how rescheduling is going to affect that is important too. And I think that's something none of us really understand. You know, how will the phar- these companies that are slated to be the cannabinoid pharmaceutical companies, how will they affect the cannabis industry? And how will cannabis at Schedule 2 affect the cannabis industry? Will it essentially push out what we know as now as the cannabis industry only to make way for the pharmaceutical companies? Um that is definitely a strong possibility. Um, well, they have no the money to, to do it, too. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and that is a concern because there's there's two things here. One is if I was a pharmaceutical company as, as money hungry as they seem to be, I would be jumping on this mm-hmm. because I don't see chemicals being yeah all the future. I think chemicals are going to be there, but I don't think that I think jumping on the, the cannabis uh, train is going to only help them instead of them fighting it. And then on the flip side, um, the companies that do jump on that train, are they going to protect it as it is, like you said, right. or are they going to change it? This goes hand in hand with this whole, and I know that I'm not sidetracking, but just briefly, uh, Gavita sold mm-hmm. out to Scott's. Okay. Yeah. Miracle Grow. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Gavita is huge mm-hmm. for growers. They've been relying, I mean, you know, I've, there's people I know right now that grow very good flour off double into Gavitas. Okay, well now they're owned by Miracle Grow. Right. Botanicare, Miracle Grow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so now now you got yep. all this other part of the industry getting bought up. Right. Uh, and how are they going to represent it? Are they going to protect the growers, or are they going to just? Well, you and know. So this is like a mirror of what you're talking about with the. I mean. Who knows? Yeah, and it, it also... But they're getting their hands in it. And it points to a, another issue, you know, when you have these bigger companies um, buying up things. You know, there's publicly traded companies. It's a lot harder for them to pursue and reflect the mission and ideals of cottage industries and, you know, to embody the ideals of, you know, environmental stewardship and things like that because... Their bottom line is that they have to please their stockholders. At the end of the day, if exactly. they're not pleasing their stockholders, then um, they're at risk. And how do you please your stockholders? You drive revenue. And um, so there's some sort of inherent um, issues there. I mean, there is a kind of growing evolution in company cultures today that a lot of, not a lot, but some publicly traded companies are trying to become leaders in this area and show that it is possible to form 
um, like hybrid organizations are becoming popular now where uh, for-profit uh, publicly traded companies are partnering with um, nonprofit companies that embody a mission um, that the for-profit company wants to embody and they work together to ensure that they're you know they're meeting this those sorts of goals um, but you know we're not seeing much of that and definitely it's kind of disheartening to see this kind of stuff happening I've been hearing a lot lately um, about really large companies coming into Oregon specifically and um, starting to make deals with um, all sorts of entities yeah. <laughs> to try to get their ducks in a row and yeah you know only time will tell how that works um, it's something that you know the public has to really be aware of and be on top of and and if it's something they don't want they need to make it known as you know starting now and be loud about it um, yeah because if not and if you just let things play out the way they'll naturally play out i think um we'll be very unhappy with the results yeah the one thing about the cannabis community though is it's a tight community it is and yep. uh they have we've grown over mm -hmm. the decades and also the growers the growers these guys are just they're very very family oriented and uh i know i mean i know a lot of people that will not be using these products right so hopefully you know there will be some you know and one thing that's cool is you know um there's a growing movement towards sustainable agriculture and uh, cultivators are learning that you can get by pretty much without using chemical products, without yeah. using fertilizers and pesticides. And um, well, and we're just now getting into the beneficials, right? I mean, literally, I've, I've I've done a lot of research. This last episode, uh, I hope that folks enjoy it. I was only able to do it myself, or but you know, with my co-host. Mm -hmm. But we talked about beneficials and all kinds of them and yeah. there are so many bacterias and fungi oh, yeah. Yeah. that that could control these things and if used properly would be as effective or or better and we, and we brought this stuff up mainly because of your talks you know you yeah. mentioned you know try not to use pesticides these things are natural but mm -hmm. you know but and so we we dedicated this last episode to bringing those beneficials out. And Excellent. man, there's I have a whole list of of beneficials now on the show notes that uh, I mean, gosh, you know, fifteen different kinds and used accordingly, properly from get go, mm -hmm. will get you right through your harvest, and and not expensive at all. Oh yeah, and compost teas are you know exactly compost teas are huge, and people if you're not well, you if buy... you're not using compost teas now, learn about it and and get into it. I've had cultivators that have told me they've saved you know upwards of ten thousand dollars or more by just integrating compost teas into their regimens and they're like yeah we don't need to water as much we don't need to apply nope. any you know extra um pesticides or fertilizers even organic fertilizers like compost teas seem to do the trick and well when you buy dry weight usually yeah so you're, yeah. you're saving money there and then yeah those compost teas are so long lasting that and control your pH and, and those things will last. I mean, it's it's great. And yeah. That, and I do believe that's where your flavor comes from. It's one thing to mimic nature, but I think if you can actually provide the natural food mm -hmm. sources, fish and bat and just all those yeah, and natural poos and meals and stuff. All it, these micronutrients yeah, that exactly. our topsoils are getting mm -hmm. devoid of. I mean, we're working with such little topsoil compared to, you know, what has been here in the past. And um, and that's a big part of all of this is, 
um, you know, <laughs> the soils we're working now are, are just not, um, they're not the same as they once were potentially, or, you know, maybe they're not the same as they've ever been, but, um, well, I, yeah, I think the compost teas and, and other, you know, sorts of things like that are the way to go. And a great resource on learning about that kind of stuff is, um, uh, there's a researcher named Elaine Ingram who has a group called the uh, soil food web. You can search that online and find just endless amounts of resources to learn about how to integrate, um, not just compost teas, but all sorts of beneficial organisms and how to cultivate for the soil so that your crop is a nice side effect of your sort of healthy, fertile um, ecosystem that you've um, encouraged just in your soil. Yeah. And, and again, let's not sidetrack, but there's things like co cover crops. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. you can, you can throw some clover mm -hmm. right on, right in your, your, uh, smart pots. Yeah. And it's, it's great. Yep. It's pretty. It, it holds helps. moisture in the soil. It the, puts nitrogen back yep, in. Collects nitrogen. Um, I mean, yeah. So, and now you got a lot of these companies now that I've seen that are putting out one of the newest beneficials I've seen is nitrogen fixing bacteria. Right. Yep. So that's, yeah, that's exactly why clover is as important is because those bacteria coat the, the roots and they help take, um, nitrogen from the air. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of how the quote unquote fixing happens is takes one form of nitrogen from the air and fixes it so that it's kind of locked in place. And then when the plant dies off and the roots die off, they release that nitrogen back into the soil so that other things nearby can sort of harvest it up. So how many rooms do you run, Jason? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. It just, you're so smart with the, the, the tips that, uh, well, I, I would often wonder if you wouldn't make a great grower. <laughs> well, garden and, um, agriculture education is something I'm particularly really, really passionate about. I think if we're going to make it as a species on this planet, we've got to get with it. Yeah, absolutely. And get away from these chemicals. I mean, you can't dump NPK on ground, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? And yeah. then have it be something next year. Right. All you're doing is just dumping chems on there. They get sucked up and then you just got dry dirt left. There's nothing left. There's no life. There's oh no, yeah. I mean, our, you know, our agricultural system as is, is just a mining operation. Exactly. We're mining nutrients and water and not replacing nope. it. And not developing an ecosystem that would naturally support um, soil health and and going forward from that, you know, the health of, of other organisms and um, the the whole monocropping and industrialized agriculture. It's it's just it doesn't work. You can't do it indefinitely. No, and, um, and we've got the world to feed. Right. We've got to get <laughs> we've got to get on this and start doing things the right way sustainably and the cannabis industry is in a perfect position to show how agriculture can be done a different way i'm really nervous right now with these huge grows that are coming up in oregon thousands of plants i'm really nervous that because of financial pressures and pressures to you know try to control the crop and and get big harvests i'm Concerned that a lot of cultivators will end up resorting to the same style of agriculture that we're already trying to get away from and um, You know, there are some really great companies out there that have proven that You don't have to do it that way and you can get really good really consistent product really unique product um, that people love uh, without ever using virtually any inputs um, once you get your system down. And it's all about systems design and realizing that if you want to do things in a sustainable or even a regenerative way, you have to 
like I said, farm your soil first and your crops come later. And sometimes that takes years um, before you should ever even think about getting plants in the ground. And that's just not acceptable for many people. No. And I think that, uh, you know, we talk about IPM a lot, which I always refer to integrated pest management, mm -hmm. but it, it goes beyond that. IPM really should be integrated production management <laughs> yeah, right to the yeah, point yeah. of, right to the point of just what you said, where you have to integrate every aspect of your grow uh, with those plants, um, mm -hmm. you know, and I do believe, I believe in, in my heart, in the community that if anybody is going to be able to bring out those sustainable practices, mm -hmm. it would be the cannabis community. Yeah, I agree. I don't know of very many people in Oregon that don't strive for mm -hmm. organic producing. There are some people, uh, there are hydro growers that, that grow a, a, an okay product or a decent product for, for dispensaries and stuff. But but for the most part, we do see a lot of organic tea mm -hmm. beneficials. Mm -hmm. um, so hopefully that continues. Um, but it's it, I do know that it's hard when you get up to 300 plants or you're a tier one grower. I mean, it's... Yeah. It's difficult to it's, go through the cost-benefit analysis and come out on the other end and say, yeah, it's worth it to try to risk that's you know, the integrating these new techniques. See, that's the big thing is the bigger you grow, the bigger your risk. And you have, you, the bigger you get, you get to that one point where you lose your crop and you lose your business. Exactly. Because yeah. that's how big it is. Mm -hmm. And that's how farming is. Exactly. Exactly. And so I do think that you get to that certain size where you go, oh, crap, I've got to make this work no matter what. Yeah. And that's where you start going into big ag, you know, practices or, or fudging mm -hmm. or changing your whatever a little bit, but it's gotta be a lot of pressure. Yeah, for There's sure. No I, way, I feel yeah. for everybody in the industry for sure. And no judgments there any way. I mean, you know, it's, you try to do the best you can and you try to educate yourself as much as possible. Um, at the end of the day, there's only so much you can do because all farmers are in that predicament. They got to, at the end of the day, provide for themselves and their family. And, and how they do that is a myriad of ways. Um, the one thing that I do see is that we do have a lot of, if we can keep the home grows going, like I, if these cities and municipalities start outlying or outlying um, home grows and stuff and start pushing them out rurally, it's going to mm -hmm. be hard to to keep that boutique-ish stuff. Yeah. But if we can still, if we can fight for our rights to grow just four to six plants, I mean, and, and get these people interested, those are the people that will hold on to those safe practices and, and hopefully keep that going. Um, and then provide their own medicine. Can you imagine if you had a kid that had epilepsy and you've been buying this CBD uh, roll-on or, or whatever uh, administering you're doing for tons of money? Right. And then all of a sudden you can grow four plants in your backyard mm -hmm. for essentially free. I mean, not, but essentially it's a plant. You need right. some good dirt, some couple nutrients and some, and some love and you've got your medicine. Right. Yeah. I mean, how awesome is that? Yeah. And I love that, you know, cannabis is. That's not hurting a, anybody. On a That's saving your kid pot potentially. Right. right. And. I love that, you know, all of this cannabis stuff is a great doorway into, you know, just learning more about herbal medicine and how humans have been treating all sorts of conditions with different plants, um, you know, for, you know, thousands of years. And science is sort of validating 
um, that kind of stuff by finding these terpenes and terpenoids and um, other types of products in these plants that we're realizing, oh yeah, they actually do do something. And oh, when we isolate them, they don't do the same thing. And See, that's what's <laughs> funny about nature is, is she's like opening this door saying, okay, you know, here, here's a little secret, you know, you right. can actually treat yourself really well with my bountiful in the earth, but yet, but, but be aware I'm still complicated. It's so complicated. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the, you, the you can't just figure is, me out. You the synergy it. is so yeah. bizarre and it's so hard to measure. And it's something that, um, I hope people realize, you know, when we talk about the entourage effect with cannabinoids and terpenoid synergies, you know, make no mistake, we don't know what the hell we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. We know this stuff is real because yeah. we we experience this phenomenon that, you know, even in cell culture studies, we were able to see that if you expose certain cell types to one compound versus two compounds combined versus 10 compounds combined, you get different effects and effects that are unique that you don't see unless you combine these compounds together. And so you know, what's really going on in our bodies with herbal medicine, it's really hard to to nail down. And that's one thing that makes um, sort of Western uh, modern medicine um, wary of, of these sorts of things is because you can't nail it down and figure out exactly what's happening. Um, but we also have to ask ourselves if that matters that much. Exactly. If you compare that to a specific drug that gives you the potential of 150 different side effects, right? I'm not sure where we're scared of. I mean, I know of several drugs that I've had to take over the my years of being alive, and some of them did not work. Oh, nor yeah. did Me they. Too. Yeah, and and the side effects were worse. Yes. Yeah. And this is a common story, and we accept that, and that's okay. We even accept the fact that certain painkillers will kill you. Right. Or, uh, I don't want to name names, but certain drugs will cause a heart attack potentially. Right. Yeah. I mean, so here you go. Get rid of your headache, but watch out for that heart attack. That's okay. Um, <laughs> but don't grow four plants in your backyard because it might make you feel better. I'm. It's it's definitely very strange, and you know I don't want to downplay you know the fact that cannabis does have side effects for people and. Some people's seizures are exacerbated by cannabis use, and some people have, you know, certain increased risk of stroke and, and heart attack with cannabis use. So I don't want to, you know, say that you know cannabis is totally safe and there are no risks. But like you said, compared to things that you know we accept much greater risks for, it's kind of ridiculous the way that that we conceptualize it, and and especially going back to what we were originally talking about with the DEA decision you know, having it be in this schedule one where it's, you know, considered, um, to have no medical value. It's just very, very strange. Yeah. Well, and like, I don't know, um, we just talked about this, uh, this week, but there's this condition called, and forgive me if I say this wrong, you might know it, it's called hyperemesis. Yep. Yep. Cannabinoid hyperemesis. Syndrome. Yeah. Yep. And, and that's about the worst thing I've found. Yeah, uh, it's and that's an interesting it thing. Is, that's and we talked all about it. Uh, constant vomiting, uh, hot showers help. Yeah, it. you have so. This is weird because I kind of have. Sometimes I have those issues. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that explains why oh, I'm vomiting yeah. all yeah, the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So. So here is. It a, should be noted though that there is a. So there's a hyperemesis syndrome, and then there is this cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome, okay. and um, researchers still trying to figure out the interplay between those two conditions and why 
cannabinoids can bring out the specific type of hyperemesis. But the idea is that, you know, if you use cannabis constantly and you are constantly stimulating your CB1 receptors, what happens is those receptors, so they're typically embedded in cell walls um, and all kinds of different cells in your body. And what happens is when they get overstimulated constantly, they retreat and they eventually um, enter the um, inside of the cell. And once that happens, there's sort of a triggering response inside the cell to um, recognize that as sort of a foreign product and break it down and eliminate it. And so over time, if you're constantly using cannabis, and especially if you're smoking um, cannabinoid products that have high concentrations of THC, you end up um, losing the density of CB1 receptors in your body. And CB1 receptors are um, directly tied in with um, uh, controlling that feeling of nausea and, and, and whatnot. And one of the reasons why cannabinoids have anti-nausea effects is because um, they're able to interact with a um, sort of cannabinoid system that's, that's out of whack. But if you um, use cannabis constantly, you can essentially set up your endocannabinoid system to get out of whack. And, and produce those symptoms. Uh, the good thing is that if you just discontinue your use for a while, it resolves itself. Right. So, I mean, let's, let's for lack of any better terms, let's get to layman's. I mean, so essentially we're building somewhat of a form of tolerance. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's a tolerance. Yeah. And, and, and here's the deal. I, this is anything in life. I don't care what you talk about. Mm -hmm. Any good medicine. I don't, I don't, I'm not recommending that you consume cannabis all the time. One thing I do like about cannabis is that fact, though, is it's kind of self-regulating. Right. You know, alcoholism, uh, you can drink and, and want more and more and more and get drunker and drunker and drunker and drunker. Whereas cannabis, you just kind of hit that wall. Yeah, it has a plateau effect. It does. Kind of. And it's just, then that's what I refer to as self-regulating, where it kind of just, you're done. You're not going to get any more out of it. Mm -hmm. And it's not doing you anything. And so you just stop. Yeah. And then you go back to it later. So in essence, I think that cannabis is nice in the sense that if you treat it that way moderately, mm -hmm. you get the maximum benefits and you never end up overdoing it because you just don't want to. Right. You know, I mean, you just don't. And it should be pointed out that cannabinoid hypermesis syndrome is extremely rare. Um, it's, it's not documented frequently at all. Um, and so most people never even experience that uh, phenomenon. And so... You know, who knows how big of an issue that actually is. It's only been reported in, I think, one research paper. Um, yeah. And so, uh, you know, that's just something that we just have to have in our awareness as we engage with this plant and different infused products and understand that that's something that could happen. And if you start to notice those sorts of symptoms, you know what to do. And, you know, it only, there's some research that's shown it only takes about 48 hours for your CB1 receptors to start to repopulate. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it really doesn't take much time at all for your body to start to bounce back from. from no, and I think anything in life is moderation. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I, I don't encourage any overdoing of anything because yeah. really it's not going to benefit you at all. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, so we talked about uh, basically your your uh, seminar on terpenes and terpenoids. We got a chance to talk about the FDA and deregulation. Now, or I should say descheduling. Uh, now let's uh, finish up. Jason, I wanted to really talk to you since you're 
got that masters and you're <laughs> quite a smart guy here. I wanted to talk to you about something that's really important with our listeners. It's okay. something that's on their mind daily. Sure. And what that is is THC in our blood mm -hmm. in relation to the DMV and driving. Okay. This is a hot topic. Yeah. Okay. And we know that Colorado has this set limit of what, five nanograms? Um, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I believe it's, um, is it five nanograms point five. or five micrograms per liter? It's, it's nanograms, okay. yeah. Um, so now Oregon hasn't set a limit yet. Yeah, thank goodness. Right. But can you talk about, do, do you know anything about how THC interacts, metabolizes, gets in your blood, how long it stays? You know, can you kind of summarize that and maybe tell us what, as Oregonians and driving, you know, there's a lot of cannabis mm -hmm. users, uh, even just edibles. So how do we protect ourselves in terms of, you know, this kind of situation? Sure. Yeah. Um, so this is a really complicated topic. It is. Um, it is. Um, so when you ingest cannabis, a number of things happen, um, and it all depends on how you ingest it. Um, so if you smoke cannabis or take it sublingually, it tends to, or there's also like nasal sprays now as well. Um, if you do something like that, um, the cannabinoids uh, quickly pass through mucous membranes, either in your lungs or in your nasal passages or under your tongue. And, um, the cannabinoids get into blood vessels immediately under those mucous membranes and um, get distributed throughout your body immediately that way. Um, and so you get effects really quickly um, through those sorts of administration routes. Um, and then over time, um, bits of that THC or CBD or whatever um, will eventually get distributed to um, the liver where they'll be metabolized into other products. Um, when you eat cannabis or cannabinoid-infused um, products, a much different scenario happens. Um, the products go through your digestive system. Eventually, um, the cannabinoids experience what's called hepatic metabolism. Um, and it goes through your liver um, and gets turned into a couple of different um, products. And primarily, THC will metabolize into a product called 11-OH-THC, um, which is more potent than THC. It crosses the blood-brain barrier more readily, um, which is one reason why people that eat edibles experience really unique effects um, compared to <laughs> I to like other the word things. unique. Yeah. Um, more like, go to the hospital. <laughs> you're right. Yeah, it can be really overwhelming <laughs> for some people. Um, I, I say that to point this out. Um, when it comes to drug testing for driving, typically those sorts of tests are looking at um, cannabis metabolites, and they're usually looking for 11-OH-THC, um, or they're looking for a secondary metabolite, which is called, um, I think it's called Nor9-Carboxy-THC. Um, and so when 11-OH-THC has had uh, time to circulate throughout your body for a while, it gets metabolized again into this Nor9-Carboxy-THC. Uh, the Carboxy-THC is non-psychoactive. Um, and it tends to get consolidated into fatty tissues throughout your body. And so mo most drug testing in general, um, the carboxy THC is what they're looking for as a, to indicate that at one time you consume THC and it, in, because you have that metabolite in your body, you know, they can decide that. And so 
blood tests looking for THC, they're not always just looking for THC, but they're looking for 11-OH THC and they're looking for nor-9-carboxy THC. Um, and that makes things complicated in and of itself because it's hard to extrapolate what it even means to detect um, these THC metabolites in someone's system and relate that to impairment in some way. Are you telling me that eating cannabis could trigger a test easier than smoking it? Um, it could, potentially. Interesting. Um, you could have, um, over time, you could get higher levels of, of certain metabolites, and there's not a lot of good data on that. Um, you know, some of that is speculative and just extrapolation from, from what I know about, about how all of that works. Um, but it's something that needs to be looked into or how, you know, how, what metabolites might be present in users of edibles that might be unique compared to people that, that only smoke. Um, eventually the, the nornine carboxy THC, um, inevitably THC will get metabolized into that. And when people talk about THC lingering in your system, that's what they're talking about lingering in your system is that secondary metabolite. But the intermediary metabolite, the 11-OH THC, definitely depending on whether you eat it or smoke it, you'll have different concentrations of that in your system at different times um, compared with each other. And some of the research that's been done on cannabis um, consumption and driving has produced some interesting results. Um, there's um, a paper from uh, the NIH from 2014 that has said that um, looking at that, um, I think they were looking at a, a five microgram per liter limit. Um, they showed that for frequent users, um, it takes about three and a half hours after ingestion to get below that limit. Um, whereas for infrequent users, it only takes an hour. Um, so your frequency of use um, definitely affects how your drug test results are going to come out, which we've, you know, well, maybe we'll get a known. sliding scale. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, do you use three times a day? Excellent. Okay. That, well, that's, that's <laughs> where a lot of research is pointing to. And I don't know if you caught, um, I think it was CNN's one of Sanjay Gupta's specials. It might've been some other special. There's so many now they run together, but there was something on the news that had um, drivers go through a driving course yeah. and they had... This one girl that um, was a regular user that actually consumed before even getting <laughs> yeah, to the course. That I was saw a, this one. They, she was above the level before she even got there. <laughs> and then they had some infrequent users that um, consumed, I think, up to a gram or so. Um, while yeah, I think the one of them was course. messed up too, wasn't he? Yeah, one that, he... that never really yeah. Um, consumed. Yeah, he really had a hard time. <laughs> And so what what you see, and that sort of study has been replicated several times, and what you see is that um, frequent cannabis users experience a much different level of impairment than infrequent users. And sure. there's not this very simple dose-dependent correlation like you see with alcohol. With yeah. alcohol, the more you drink, the more impaired you are. Yeah. Um, well, and then there, you know, there's some understanding too. So I know in general that if I drink a beer every hour or whatever, two hours, I'm okay. Right. But if I go above that, I'm not going to be okay. There's no understanding with cannabis where, oh, hey, if I smoke one joint, I'll be okay three days from now. I mean, there's no correlation. Right. It's, it's... So at least with alcohol, you can say, okay, I can go socially drink 
sorta, mm-hmm. drink a beer an hour, keep it slow, and I'll probably be okay. Right. You cannot do that at all. Yeah. And it's, Your best bet is to never smoke. I mean. Yeah, it, it, it's really complicated. You know, one study has sort of declared that um, you're after consuming cannabis, you're the most impaired between the first 20 to 40 minutes, and that seems pretty reasonable. Sure, and then after sure. about two and a half hours, um, that impairment is mostly gone, seemingly. Um, I think that comes from a 2009 study in the American Journal of Addiction that looked at some of this stuff. And they found some really interesting um, information. Um, One thing they found was that um, cannabis tends to affect your automatic driving skills more so than your ability to complete complex tasks, whereas alcohol is the complete opposite. And um, alcohol, it's like no matter how hard you try, um, you're, <laughs> you're still not going to perform very well. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, that's what I would assume that's what makes a sobriety test more effective with alcohol is that like with the nystagmus. I don't know if you Right. Yeah. You know, with the eye movement. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can't beat that. Right. I know that. I was in optics for 20 years. Yep. You cannot beat nystagmus. It's there when you're inebriated. Mm-hmm. So no matter how hard you try, you're screwed. Right. Um, I don't believe that's the case with cannabis. I don't think you get those yeah, uh, areas it, where you're for sure because you can't control the symptom. There definitely doesn't seem to be much certainty. I mean, because um, your eyes can... I don't know that eye dilation is part of cannabis. No, it's not. Yeah, and so. the nystigmus stuff, I mean, some people just experience that naturally. And so it's right. that alone is really hard to do much with. And that's why usually sobriety tests come in... Uh, you know, threes, there are three main tests. You have the nystigmus test, and then you have the um, one-legged stand test, and then the, um, yeah, walk in the line and try to, to touch your nose yeah. um, or a version test. Of, yeah. yeah, or some, some rendition of that. Um, but it, it's really not, not straightforward. Uh, another thing this same study um, found were that cannabis users tend to maintain a higher level of awareness of their own impairment, and so they're able to compensate for their level of impairment, whereas alcohol tends to um, eliminate your awareness of your own impairment. And that's a really important thing because how do you judge someone's impairment if, even if you concluded that impairment was dose dependent, meaning the more you consume, the worse your performance will be, well, if your awareness of your own impairment is maintained and you're able to compensate for that, it muddies the data. Like you can't, it's harder to say if you consume X amount or your blood level gets beyond X amount that you'll be impaired because they're still able to engage in, you know, these uh, complex tasks and, and deal with this stuff. And the, the most, if you call it troubling, the most troubling things that most of these studies that I've read have found is that cannabis users that are driving tend to have a harder time um, maintaining a straight line within a lane. Um, not necessarily that they cross over lanes, but just that they tend to weave a little more within the lane. Con- uh, um, uh, uh, in comparison to alcohol? In comparison to um, control, so comparison to just someone that drives normally. Just, I see, okay. And, you know, take that with a grain of salt. I don't know how, <laughs> what to make of that. But uh, some other things they found are kind of funny, like cannabis drivers tend to drive more slowly. They tend to make fewer attempts to pass people, and they tend to... Um, increase the distance between them and the car in front of them those are all things which that all are... add to safety right exactly yeah. well and what's funny is that um you mentioned just just this is i think that especially for people that don't use it 
as much is there's a heightened self-awareness. Right. Sometimes to the point of anxiety. Yes. So, yeah. I mean, you can be so introspective and, and self-aware because you're high that it actually, you're like, whoa, I, you know, just, yeah. whoa. And, and these, these papers have even pointed out that that's one of the major issues with cannabis driving is you become so sort of self-absorbed with your own inner environment right. Right. that you're, you know, less likely to react to things that need a reaction, you know, I see. in a moment. Sure, um, sure. And that could be true. Um, I do know this, though. Uh, Any time I've been inebriated mm-hmm. and someone says, let's go do this. I'm like, whoa, let's go do it. Right. Let's drive. Whoa. Anytime I'm too high, I always say, whoa, dude, no, I'm too high. I right. can't do this. I am too messed up. I am not driving. You yeah. know what I'm saying? It's, and that is the truth. But every time I've been drunk, let's do it. Yeah, and it's because alcohol slowly shuts down your central nervous yeah. system. And, you know, it turns Decision off some of that. Decision making just goes south. Right. And yeah. cannabis just does not do that. Um, these studies, you know, have found that folks that um, are heavy users, they tend to exhibit, and this is almost word for word from this 2009 study, um, they exhibit almost no functional impairment and only modest impairment on road tests. Um, that's important to note because for medical patients um, that are consuming cannabis every, you know, essentially every day, um, that's important because they're almost always going to fail a blood test if, yeah. if it's at five nanograms or whatever well, and, the limit and, is. And, and that is the point is, I mean, are we just going to, are we going to shift, is the government shifting their focus from locking people up because it's illegal to locking people up or making all this money because of another route it's legal now so we're just going to bust people for duis i mean it's it's definitely a concern it's a potential i don't want to say money maker because that's not what i'm searching for but it's just a a potential way to still um regulate monetarily yeah i mean it is a money maker the cannabis system because if it's going to be legal, they're still going to want to, you know, do something with right. it. Um, it's, and, and, it's, and it's too bad because DUIs ruin people's lives. It, they do. And they I mean, really do. And they're really, really expensive to even yeah. resolve in the first place. I mean, they wipe people out. Oh, yeah. And you could lose your job. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and this could all be over not being inebriated. Yeah, It exactly. could all be over just some BS uh, legal red tape. And, and so it's, it's interesting to point out that if you, um, both Colorado and Washington um, have some, their state governments have information about um, driving under the influence of cannabis, and they tend to point out that even, uh, Colorado particularly, even despite the blood limit, they tend to rely on observational impairment. Sure. And so if that's required, if despite a blood limit um you have to rely on whether or not you can tell by looking at the person if they're unfit to drive then you know the it begs the question of what's the point of you know limits in the first place and it makes it seem like all you need is to use the same sort of systems that are already at play to detect um impaired driving that being said the ways that impaired driving is detected is not necessarily um always very accurate um, when you look at studies on field sobriety tests compared to controls, um, it seems to me that a sobriety test could be all based on one opinion. It can, it definitely so can be. Is, and, is that officers walking up to your car 
unfortunately, I would assume here she may be forming an opinion already. Right. I, and in fact, I would almost bet on it because that's kind of their job. And it's just the way humans work. That's what I mean. mean. Yeah. And so by the time he gets to your window, I'm not sure that that sobriety test matters depending on the circumstance. And that's my concern is sobriety tests all fine and dandy, but they're as subjective as hell. Yeah. No, they I mean, definitely and that are. Can, and that can be swayed by an opinion, whether and it's the way you look, whether it's the way you dress, whether it's the way you particularly smell. Maybe you smell like patchouli and he doesn't like patchouli. Right. Or she. I mean, I'm not trying to be specific here. I'm just yeah. saying that there, there's too much subjectiveness in that. For sure. And you Especially know, when you're toying with people's lives. Yeah. And I'll, jobs and careers and family. and. I'll try to find the paper and share it with you so you can share it with the listeners. Well, yeah, we'll put but, it on um, the show notes for you. There's a, there's a paper that you know compares the three major field sobriety tests. Um, and it um, shows kind of the results of a control, totally sober population versus a cannabis-using population versus an alcohol-using population versus cannabis and alcohol combined. And what you find is, um, as expected, when cannabis and alcohol are combined, they're worse than either one of them separate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but what's interesting is when you look at the control versus the cannabis-only group, um, there's not a huge difference. Um I think the the qualifier to fail the test is you have to fail two out of the three you know field mm-hmm. sobriety tests, and so you do see more failures. But it gets even more complicated when you look at the control and you realize it's really only accurate about maybe sixty percent of the time or fifty five percent of the time. Well, and these are visual cues, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. And so this these is... visual cues are taken in by people that already understand that uh, eyewitnesses. Are unreliable right does that make sense yeah so when you take an eyewitness they know that you know people mix up races colors skin color facial features it's a mess when it comes to eyewitnesses yeah but yet they're using an eyewitness to uh, decide mm-hmm. if you're inebriated or not yeah and I, I think this is all important <laughs> things that people should be talking about you know how we even determine this stuff and like I said you know, studies with alcohol, it's fairly straightforward. If you draw on a graph, you know, how much you drink versus how impaired you are, you see pretty much a straight line going up diagonally. It's a very strong positive correlation. But with cannabis, it just isn't that straightforward. And as states are regulating and legalizing, it's so very important to keep that in mind and recognize that, yeah, if you, you know, if you don't understand one how cannabis metabolites linger in the body and uh sort of what research has to say about impairment with driving and and cannabis in the first place you could a state could set things up in such a way where yeah you really end up continuing to ruin people's lives even after you stopped arresting them for possession and use It's like you're still ruining lives based on on traffic stops. In a legal manner. (laughs) Yeah, in a legal manner. And um, it's unfortunate because I think that as we've seen, especially from your point of view, from a scientific point of view, is cannabis is very dynamic. It's an alien plant in the best sense of the word. It's just, it's like mushrooms. There's there's so much diversity and so, so many things to learn and so many dynamics that we just don't. We're just beginning. Yeah, yeah. There's no way to to pinpoint or narrow anything down with this plant. You know, what I like to say to people when they ask me about driving and and how that should be handled, I always point out what we really have to figure out is, is 
cannabis intoxicated driving, is it a bigger problem than having people driving around angry or driving around upset? Because, right after an argument. Right. If the impairment is not that much greater than sort of emotional distress, then, you know, I, I don't know that there's much support for, one, these sorts of, of um, blood limits, um, but it, it all comes down to that observational impairment. A police officer can pull you over and see that you're upset and say, you know, you shouldn't be driving. True. You're a danger to people around you. But they probably won't give you a DUI. They won't give you, exactly. They yeah. won't give you a DUI. But if you're emotional, you're crying, you just got an argument with your husband or your wife, you're not driving well at all. Right. And you got tears rolling down your face. Yeah. You're just going to have to call a cab, maybe. Right. Yeah. Um, and so it's all about, is it worth the DUI? Like, does the punishment fit the crime? And that's something as a culture we have to decide on. And if people don't talk about it and don't... Um, confront uh, some of the limited science around it and and the cultural aspects of it, then other people will make these decisions for them. And that's where you're going to get into these situations where, you know, people are going to continue to, you know, have their lives ruined over something that potentially is um, not causing anyone a problem in the yeah. first place. And I think bottom line is just at this point in time, because there's so much work we have to do towards this, is just essentially don't give any police officer a reason yep. to begin. Right. Don't smoke before you drive. Yep. Don't smoke while you're driving. Yep. If you have to carry it, carry it in a locked box in yep. your trunk or yep. in the back of the car. The open that, container laws apply to cannabis. That's what in I'm most saying. States. That's what I'm saying. Just practice total safety. Mm -hmm. And then if something does go south, that ten thousand dollars you spend on a lawyer is gonna be well spent <laughs> yeah. because he has things to protect you with. Exactly. Yeah. No, this was in a locked container, it was in the back of the car. Mm-hmm. He couldn't have consumed it. There was mm -hmm. no consumption. There was no smell. You know yep. what I mean? Right. So, and, you know, this 2009 study, um, some of the researchers concluded that um, people should be advised, like, if you are going to be consuming and have to drive in the same day, just try to wait around three hours. Yeah, exactly. Two and a half, three hours. And, and just be smart about it. Yeah. You know, give yourself every opportunity to be safe. Yeah. Not unsafe. Because, again, you could be put in a situation that's going to be highly unfair. Right. Period. Yep. And there's nothing you can do about it. So start from the beginning, protect yourself. Yep. And no matter, you know, how you, how you feel about it and how well you think you're driving or you may even be driving, you have to ultimately recognize that, you know, we operate within the system. And yeah. if you don't recognize it and don't play to that, you're going to set yourself up. For exactly. Disaster. So be aware of it. And if you have to walk. Yeah. You know what I mean? Take mm -hmm. a bus, take a cab. It might be the better option because a $20 cab or even that, a $10 Uber right. is yeah. way better. Save you a lot of money versus than, that $10,000 oh, attorney fee. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. So, all right, Jason. Well, you know, we've kept you on quite a long time this time, but man, we covered three good subjects. Yeah, it was great. You shared some awesome information. And again, we love you being on. We would love to have you on again. We're going to catch all your seminars this year. I know we're coming into an end, though, right? Yeah, we've got another seminar next month. Um, I believe it's sep September 20th. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's going to be about um, extraction science. Um, so That's we'll, a big one again. So it is a, a big topic. We'll talk about um, you know not only um, some of the traditional forms of plant oil extractions, like organic solvent extraction and distillation, but we'll talk about some newer techniques and sort of assistive techniques that you're not necessarily reading about right mm -hmm. now um, that I think uh, folks will 
be interested in, especially folks that are, are trying to um, find ways to dial in their processes. And um, I think specifically folks that are trying to go down um, the routes of CO2 extraction, I think they'll they'll really be interested in some of these newer techniques because a lot of them are partnered with uh, supercritical fluid extraction um, as well as distillation techniques. Um, so I encourage folks to come out to that. That's going to be at Southern Oregon University um, uh, September 20th at 6.30 Room 319. Yep, room 319 in the Stevenson Union as always. You um, can't beat that room, buddy. That that <laughs> view is awesome. It's, it's I get yeah. torn between the view and the chalkboards. Right, or, or yeah. The, the dry erase. But, uh, <laughs> and... Um, yeah, beyond that, we've got one other seminar after that in October, and it's our um, mushroom seminar, so very different than our, our normal um, seminars, which are usually about plants and usually specifically about cannabis. October is the perfect time to talk about um, uh, medicinal and toxic uh, mushrooms and how to recognize them and um, how they've been used in uh, well, and this is a good subject. I just, I'm so impressed by what you guys are bringing out. Uh, I think mushrooms and the natural part of it go hand in hand with cannabis. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's yeah. a lot of cannabis users that know about medicinal mushrooms and, and just using them in general. And uh, again, this is another area where down south in California, we're seeing some things going on like treatment for PTSD, treatment for depression, treatment for uh, addiction, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. treatment for uh, end of life mm -hmm. uh, through psilocybin and LSD yep. and stuff. And it w is working in these studies and we're seeing it being applied in great ways. And again, this is another example of a natural living organism <laughs> that has great potential but is somewhat demonized from yeah, and, um, from the past. And it's it's interesting because you know there's there's beginning to be a bigger push these days. Um, now that we sort of got the momentum rolling on cannabis, a lot of focus is now going towards confronting the legal status of um, uh, psilocybin-containing yeah. mushrooms. And we'll talk about a lot of other sure. types of mushrooms too, yeah, but um, we'll definitely spend some time talking about that. Yeah, and and again, those are another alien. Uh, life Very form, if you will, like organisms. They, yeah. they, they have these complicated underground like networks. I mean, oh, yeah. It's oh a, yeah, these things are amazing. I mean, just it blows me away. It's almost like the cannabis and, and mushrooms both are just these unique individual set apart oh, yeah. organisms that have just developed these crazy, crazy uh, methods of. Oh yeah, we'll we'll talk plenty about. Um mycelial networks and how they connect uh, plants and other organisms awesome. to each other through the soil. I had the um, awesome pleasure when I was at the University of Mississippi to study mycology under um, a researcher named Jason Huxima, who um, was one of the um, researchers that's been putting together these ideas about how these mycelial networks work um, and how they help plants share um, nutrients and uh, potentially even information. Um, yeah, and what's interesting is these networks are so complicated. It's not like a couple roots just like getting tangled up. Yeah. I mean, these are complicated networks, almost like a brain. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. These yeah, are yeah. complicated, in-depth networks that span large areas and we do not understand what they're capable of or right. what they're doing which is amazing <laughs> yeah which is kind of creepy in a sense yeah but who knows so all right jason well we won't take any more of your time but we appreciate it and we so check out september 20th sou room 319 they're going to be talking about concentrate extraction um, and the different methods i think a lot of people will be interested in that just because 
uh, it, it's happening, and I think there's a lot of concern about safety. And, oh, yeah, and yeah, what's we'll focus there. specifically sure. on safety. We'll even talk a little bit about um, potentially edible uh, manufacturing, too, because there's some safety issues involved in commercial kitchens and whatnot that we want to address as well. Perfect. So check that out September 20th. Following up on that the next month, I'm not sure the date, but follow up with the uh, mushroom. Yep. Just go on our website, kinevereresearch.com slash seminars, and you'll you'll see that that list. I can't believe we're already at the end of our our monthly yeah. seminars <laughs> it, it, it's and it's been awesome i can't I, I look forward to next year and this this winter i look forward to taking as much education as we can so again jason we appreciate it buddy thanks for having thanks me for on coming it's on a pleasure as always yeah and we will check you out september 20th and hopefully we'll catch up then again as well okay sounds good thanks buddy take it easy all right okay so that was jason from kenevere on all kinds of good things uh, if you guys have stuck this far with us now, we're just going to wrap up real quick and uh, just talk about uh, what's going on in our grow. Yep. Nothing. What? I said, yep. <laughs> yep. Nothing big there. We did. I think that I got control or at least as much control as you can over PM. Um, I had mentioned briefly that we had contracted. Mm-hmm. Our girls contracted diseases. Yep. They were being <laughs> sluts. So PM, just a little tiny spot in a couple of places on just, um, well, it only started, it started on one plant, but I, I got a leaf on another one. So cut all that out and we're still working on getting that, you know, making sure things are cut out, but I haven't seen it. Treated it twice with uh, neem. I did have a chance to grab some other products, which I didn't yet. Uh, one is trifecta, which seems to be a really good product, which I want to try. And then also to, um, Oh, you mean trifecta, the same trifecta that we've talked about? The stuff that I saw at the cannabis and hemp fair. Yeah. Yeah. I want to try it. It's just cause it's really good. But when I talked to the guys there, you know, we, we talked about putting them on the show and they seemed kind of interested, but you know, we're all for all forms of growing marijuana. Like we're for yes. big farmers, small farmers. But I mean, our big sharing anything. But yeah. we are mostly yeah small farmers. Yeah, ourselves. but we're we're yeah we're mostly in support of the four to six plant growers that grow for personal use, and we want to protect that for people. And uh, they, as a company, didn't seem to be as interested. In the small grove, they want to just go big. They want to yes. go big ag. And so, it, yeah, it just didn't seem like they were too interested in the small stuff, which I understand. It's it's out there and being used already. Mm-hmm. But I really wanted to try it. So, you know, I'm going to keep looking into it. And these guys, you know, if they want to come on and talk, then we'll, we'll talk to them and see what they have to say. But um, I don't know, you know, how much that is going to help our small right. growers if if that's not their interest. So... We'll find out more. I'm in contact with them now. But I think I got the PM under control, and we are in full bloom, so to speak. I mean, it's the heads are there. Nice. Uh, they all got the furries, and um, they're all looking good. Now, we the Blue Dream got to be over six foot tall. Oh, she's and, very tall. Yeah. The GSC is pretty tall, too. Not quite there, but she really did pick up at the end. And then... The LSD and the Master Kush kind of just did what the plants did last year, where they just bushed out. Looked mm-hmm. like you'd think of normal plants. Right. 
where they just bushed out in these big balls. Mm-hmm. But that um, GSC and the Blue Dream, no matter how many times I ended up topping them, ended up yep. growing like Christmas trees. Yeah. Still, and but tall. Interesting enough. So good stuff there. That's really it. I mean, we're just going into flower in mode, trying to control the PM, not have it come back and yep. get through harvest with that. And then once that's done, we'll look at other options for the winter and running seeds and all that other good stuff and start preparing for next get year. Get all that started. All right. Well, thank you for pick, sticking in there with us. And if you did get this far, I, I even forgot to mention, and I don't even know that many people picked this up, but we forgot to mention the coupon code we got with vaporous technologies unfortunately 25 percent 25 percent that's huge that's huge if you mentioned the keyword if you put in rooted rooted yeah your coupon code yes vaporous technologies.com if you put in rooted on your cart on your coupon code you get 25% off your, your first product. That sounds like purchase. a good That's deal huge. to me. So like the J-Pin Pro is 99 bucks. It's a full kit. You get extra dual coils. You Basically get, 25 bucks off. Yeah, you essentially get it for 75 bucks. That's damn good. Yeah. And trust me, I've been through the pins. This is a good one. You will be happy. Yeah. The only thing we'd mentioned is it's a little difficult to load. And that is but normal with any pin. Down. Well, it's just it's normal with any pin. Uh, they... Just especially with deep wells, they work great. You can put a lot in there, but they're just easier to work with with harder waxes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, if you can get your wax just a little bit cool first, it works real good. But if you get that sugarier stuff or like the the crumble or the butter, it can be a little messy, mm-hmm. which is fine. Just wipe off the threads before you screw it together. But but if you just get the harder stuff, then it just goes right in. Mm-hmm. Here's a little trick I found with that. When you're putting the stuff in, it's kind of messy. Just click the button a couple times, get those coils heated up, and it just melts Drops it right, right down. In in it. Okay, so sorry we didn't mention that. We'll we'll get that out there in the first part next time. But 25% off your first purchase with them. All right, guys. So that's the end of episode 13. Thanks for hanging in there. <laughs> A long one. And we will catch you next week for episode 14. All right. All right. Organ love. And that's it.